Look forward to that. You are invited, uh, if, if you're able to, uh, stop and get uh, a side item or drink or dessert. Um, we'll see how much potato salad we can get from Publix. And uh, it'll just be a fun time of fellowship. Uh, we're doing this because here's what's so powerful about the church today. The church is called to know and be known. That includes our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another. And God has given us food to do that around today. We're going to know Him and be known by Him, and we're going to know others and be known by others today. And so, uh, so there's something biblical about what we're doing today. Plus, um, the New Testament says that pork is good, and so kill and eat, and we will do that. Um, so, uh, and then uh, also, you know, I know we have a few Patriots fans in the house, but um, go Eagles. Uh, <laughs> um, we're beginning a, a series. Um, this is not a brand new series. It's just Hebrews continued. Uh, we're continuing in Hebrews chapter 11 today. This wonderful book that points us to the greatness of Christ in all things. And Hebrews chapter 11 brings us into a, a, a different element of the book that has been seen. Because we've seen that Christ is greater than some of these people who are, who are part of our fathers of faith. But it says that, the, the author of Hebrews says that Christ is greater than Abraham. Christ is greater than Moses. Christ is greater than angels. Christ is greater than the law. Christ is greater than the sacrificial system. And then the next part of Hebrews begins to put all of that, th those things in perspective. Because we get a glimpse of who these men and women were and how accurately they were heroes of the faith that pointed to a greater hero. And we have that in these lives that still speak. Even though they're dead and gone, their lives speak to us still today. And why is that? Because they had faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ produces a life that still speaks. And, you know, as I consider this catalog of men and women of the Old Testament that had faith in the coming Messiah, and really what we have here is a, a eulogy, a eulogy of each of those men and women. And I think about my life, and I think, you, you know, what, what would my eulogy say? What would, what would be written even on my tombstone? How would people remember me? And then I also came to mind as I was thinking about this, there, there's a man named R.C. Sproul who passed away just last month, uh, a very, very powerful man of God in Orlando, but not only in Orlando, he, he's mentioned by many as a lion in our midst, man who, who has a, a deep shepherd's and pastor's heart, but at the same time was a very profound theologian. God used in an incredible way a, a man who was by no means perfect, but a man whom we look at and say, God used him powerfully, and I pray that I could learn from him in his example. Now, R.C. Sproul was one whom, when I watched his memorial, uh, as they had a, it live streamed, 
one of the things that was said was that he lived a life of quorum dio. Quorum dio means life in the presence of God. That was his eulogy. It was mentioned many times throughout his memorial. And when R.C. was asked at one point by a, a, a businessman to summarize the Christian life, he said this, he said, the big idea of the Christian life is quorum dio. Quorum dio captures the essence of the Christian life. This phrase literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of or before the face of God. To live quorum dio is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God and to the glory of God. Quorum Dio. That today our faith would cause us to live in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the glory of God. That today the faith that these incredible people that we will talk about and will talk about in the coming weeks would be faith that still speaks, that inspires our hearts to love Jesus more. Hebrews 10.39 says, We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. We're not those who shrink back. One of the themes of Hebrews is that we would not drift away, that we wouldn't leave the God that we love, that we, wouldn't, that we wouldn't slowly drift away from the one whom we've confessed and we've put our confidence in, but that we would steadfastly be a people of surrender continually. And so the author of Hebrews summarizes this as he makes this transition that we would not be those people He's saying to the, his church that you, church, would not be those people. And God has preserved these words for us today and given us these words as authoritative so that we, friends, would not shrink back. So that we would have steadfast hope in the one who saves and the one who keeps us and the one who takes us through to the end. That we would not shrink back. What causes a Christian not to shrink back? Well, the answer is faith. What causes a Christian to persevere? Well, the answer is faith. What causes a Christian to not be destroyed? Well, the answer is faith. And faith is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because you don't really know you have it until you have it. You don't really know it's there until you know it's there. But once you know you, it's there, it's there. And somehow this unexplainable reality so captures your soul and reorients your life to where you live in the full confidence of the hope given in Jesus Christ. So we're going to do this sermon in three parts. Part one, what is faith? We're going to answer that question. Part two, who are the faithful? And part three is, what is faithfulness in me today? Who, what is faith? What is faith? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
for by it the people of old received their con commendation. Everyone has faith. Everyone has faith. Faith is not a, a, a thing just for the religious. Faith is not a thing just for Christians. Everyone has faith. There was a popular book that was written that says, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. <laughs> Everyone has faith. Even an atheist has faith. Author and pastor Tim Keller explains it this way. He says, all doubts, however skeptical and cynical they may seem, are really an alternate set of beliefs. You cannot doubt belief A except from a position of belief B. For example, if you doubt Christianity because there just can't be one true religion, you must recognize that this statement is itself an act of faith. No one can prove it empirically, and it is not a universal truth that everyone accepts. The reason you doubt Christianity's belief A is because you hold an unprovable belief B. Every doubt, therefore, is based on a leap of faith. You know, the idea that faith is just for the religious or just for those who, who, who are grasping for, for some kind of help outside of themselves... You know, if you don't have faith in Christ, you have faith in something. And even if that faith is in yourself, you are banking everything in your life upon that which you have faith in. And so when we look before the foundations of the world and, and we describe the creation as God has given it to us, and we describe that the Word, that the, the, the word of God created all things from Him and through Him and to Him, we, we place our faith in that. And there's an alternate set of beliefs that is in many ways an even harder concept to prove and is that's how somehow we put our faith in a big bang or in our faith that some kind of primordial matter created everything that we see today in all its glory and beauty and essence. But that requires faith. But faith Faith for the Christian isn't faith in faith. It's not like George Michael's songs. You gotta have faith. You gotta have faith. The faith. The faith. The. You guys know. You guys want. You guys want to sing it with me? <laughs> yes. It's not faith in faith. The the strength of faith isn't our faith. The strength of faith is the object of our faith. And the object of our faith, friends, is rock solid. It's Christ. The object of our faith is the one who made all things visible and invisible. The one whom thrones and powers and rulers and authorities all will at one time bow before him. The object of our faith is the beauty and worth and glory of Christ. And it's that object that compels us to believe, to say, He is real. And for the Christian, listen, He is mine. Like Song of Solomon, I am my beloved's and He is mine. That the God of the universe is a God who's approachable, He's touchable, He's understandable, He's knowable, He's a God 
who is lovely and a God who is loving. He's a God who took on flesh to be known by us through His sacrifice on the cross. The strength of Christian faith is Jesus Christ. So what, what is faith not? And I think a, another way that might help us understand the genuineness of faith is to understand what faith is not. Faith is not optimism. We're always living as if the glass is half full. It's not just wishful thinking. Faith is not a brainless adherence to a belief system. Faith actually has ground to stand on. It has credibility to work with, but it's still trust. It's still hopes. It still looks with certainty at what is ahead. Faith is not a feeling that comes and goes. Some of the times we, 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 we might drift in our faith is because we don't feel. We don't feel, we don't feel, and so these emotions that we're counting on to be rock solid become fleeting. And our faith is not our emotions. Our faith is our Savior. And Jesus is always there, even if your emotions don't agree with it. And the point of that is that our hearts and our souls might line up with what is true and what is real. Faith is not positive talk. It's not waking up in the morning and saying, you can do it, you can do it, I think I can, I think I can. Faith is not positive talk. Faith is not self-help and pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Faith is not a morality that says I'm good enough. Faith actually believes that we're not good enough and that's why we need faith, because we can't do it. And we have to put our trust in one who has, in one who can, and in one who will. Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are in... was, was, was not made out of things that are visible. Uh, there's, there's, there's something that, you know, we've all thought is, how in the world did I get here? How in the world is, is all that we see true? How, how am I not just some kind of butterfly dreaming that I'm a man? How in the world is, is this not all some kind of dream or, or myth that I'm all overwhelmed in? Well, the, the answer is, is that God, before the foundations of the world, created the world ex nihilo facto. Something out of nothing. That God made everything that is out of something that was not. Even if you go to the smallest molecule or particle that can be seen by the human eye that might make up the atom or, or whatever it is. I'm not very scientific in my explanation here. But all uh, I will say is science cannot prove to you what makes up the most minute element ever in this world. Science cannot say what that's made of. So in fact, something is made from nothing. In fact, something is made from what was not and now is. 
And we're all here today because of it. We all here live in reality because of it. Because God has shown to us that He is the one behind the things that are. That He is forever. Faith is something that we learn from children. One of the powerful illustrations that was before you today was a child who has faith in God, faith like a child. And Jesus describes it in Matthew 18. He says, At the time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the, who, who is the greatest in the kingdom? They wanted to know their pecking order in, in the scope of God's redeem, redeeming work. You might remember that the disciples weren't really sure what Jesus Christ was trying to accomplish. They thought that maybe Jesus was trying to, to take rule again of, for Israel over Rome. And so if Jesus was the king, then they wanted to have a place next to him in greatness. They wanted to be to his left or to his right. They wanted to be his chief of staff. They wanted to be his, his foreign ministers. They wanted to have that place of prominence next to him. But a child, a child doesn't care about those things. A child just wants to be next to their mom and dad because they depend on their mom and dad. You, you all know this because we've all had the, had, had the opportunity to be children. You don't have to have kids to know this. You just have to be kids to know this. We've all been kids and God's given us all the opportunity to be children so that we can know what this faith looks like. And it's a faith that says that I have to trust something so that I can continue so I could have physical care, emotional care. I could be nurtured and loved and comforted. That's something that, that, that we, don't, we don't grow out of. But it's something that, if we're not aware, we might forget. And if we forget, we begin to drift away. And Jesus called, in, in, in calling to him a child... He put him in the midst of them and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, children intuitively understand that there's a world that they don't understand. And they rely upon others to help their worldview formation, their formation of, of what's right and what's wrong. And, and we, like children, should look to God for that formation continually. I think the mark of a good parent isn't that, they're, the, that, that a good parent leads their child to complete independence. I think the mark of a good parent is that they nurture their children to realize that I can't always be dependent upon mom and dad, but they see mom and dad's faith, and that faith produces a different kind of dependence that says, I need God more than I ever thought. That's why it's important that we have vulnerability together. That's why it's important that we don't just mimic that around children, but we mimic that in the context of biblical community. It's okay not to have the whole thing figured out. Like, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay if your life is messy. In fact, the way we learn from one another is we see other people struggling with the things that we're struggling with, and we wonder how they did it. 
And we wonder what caused them to get through those difficulties, what caused them to get through those struggles. And when faith in God is the centerpiece of that struggle, God carries us through. And we learn how to hold on more tightly together to the One who holds us close to Him. And that's what faith does. Faith produces faith in others because of the rock-solid nature of Jesus Christ who says, who says, draw near. Draw near in your imperfections. You know, church is not a place for those who have it all together. It's a place for those who realize they don't. We should put a sign out in the front that says, no perfect people allowed. Because the reality is, there's only one who is perfect. And the one who is perfect is the one whom we take our cues from. And there's two examples that I'm going to unpack today. There's many more examples that we're going to see in our time together in the coming weeks. But Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, that word's repeated a whole lot in chapter 11, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. You're talking about the first human being ever born, well, not the first, Cain was the first, Abel was the second, I should, but you're the first two, Cain and Abel. First, first born, from among God's creation. And in that, there's a description of what faith is like. A description of what faith was like. It wasn't a competition. It wasn't about outdoing one another. It was about recognizing what was necessary in the presence of the holiness of God. There was offerings that were to be brought before this mighty God who created them. And it wasn't a competition. And Cain brought the fruit of his labors. He, he toiled hard for that fruit. He woke up early to sweat. His hands were calloused. He went to bed late when the harvest season came so that that fruit would be ready for him to eat. He did it. And he brought it before God God said it's not acceptable. Abel, Abel brought a lamb. A lamb. You know, with his father and mother, there was an animal that was sacrificed to clothe their nakedness. I gotta believe that he learned something about that. Is that he could not stand before the presence of a holy God with mere fig leaves of his own effort. But he had to stand on the sacrifice of a pure and spotless lamb before the holiness of God. And so Abel's faith is commended as righteous, not because of his efforts, but because of the sacrifice. And isn't that the theme of Hebrews, that Christ is the better sacrifice? So Abraham had a faith that looked forward, while Cain had a faith that was in himself. And as a result of Abel's faith, it got him murdered by his brother. How horrible. 
Is that what faith gets us? Maybe. Because the description of faith is not a prescription of faith. Your faith may take you to different places and my faith may take you to different places. But ultimately, our faith has in itself an object that's certain and sure. But we leave to Him the ordaining, the working, the movements of our lives and we walk in trust with Him even if that means that our faith might get us killed. And on the opposite side, you have the faith of Enoch. He was taken up so that he should not see death. (laughs) So on one hand, you have Abel who put his faith and hope in the Messiah who is to come. On the other hand, you have Enoch who put his faith and hope in the Messiah that was come. One who was slaughtered and one who did not taste death. That's an interesting story in the book of Genesis. Anybody reading through the Bible in a year right now? I'm a couple weeks behind already. <laughs> Good job, Randall. Um, and, and so you're reading through the Bible in the year, and, and you read about these people that you were even reading about in Hebrews, and you're like, man, these, this is weird. This is a weird story. Or, or, or you, you even read about Abraham, who's commended here, and like, like no, didn't, didn't like you, you like let the king be with your wife? That's kind of weird. And now we're commending him in Hebrews chapter 11 and and Noah and that mess and all the messiness of these people. But yet, but yet, but yet their faith was in God and God spared them and God spared Abel and God spared Enoch by their faith. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Coram Dio in the presence of God, that we might walk with God like Enoch, that we might live in the fullness, in the presence of God, in such a way that we can say, I walked with Him. Like Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the garden, may we walk with Him today and tomorrow and the next day. May we not be ones who shrink back. And the answer to being those who do not shrink back is, that we would live in the fullness of God's presence forever, that we would just not look forward and say it's coming, but that we would live in it today again and again and again. So those are the faithful. The next question is, is what is faithfulness? What is faithfulness? Hebrews 11.6, And without faith is it impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, that He rewards those who seek Him. This word faith occurs 33 times in the book of Hebrews. 33 times. In chapter alone, in chapter 11 alone, it occurs 25 times. So, only, only 8 of the times that Hebrews... That, that, that you could find the word faith in Hebrews is outside of chapter 11, but there's something that chapter 11 wants to drive home to us. There's something that the author wants us to know. There's something that God wants us to know and that that faith is the only thing that pleases God. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. He repeats himself over and over and over again. By faith, by faith, by faith. You have some jacked up sinners who by faith 
please God, while at the same time you've got people who have it all together that cause displeasure in God, that cause disgust in God, that stir God's wrath. Because it's only faith that pleases God. Because faith is the reality that I need Jesus. Faith is the reality that the only thing acceptable to God because of my sin is the perfect and finished work of Christ on the cross. And that I, that I have walked in rebellion against God. And that rebellion is not something that I could ever make up for. But one has come to make it up for me. Faith affirms that God loves us. Faith affirms that Christ died for us. Faith affirms that I belong to Him. Faith affirms God's existence and that God is knowable, that God is lovable, that God cares, and that God is actively working to make everything sad in this world come untrue. You, you see, faith looks back at what Christ has done and looks at the story of history and affirms that, that, that through, through the beginning to where we're at now, there's a needle and a thread, and that needle and thread that links it all together is Christ. But faith also looks at the present and says that Christ can work in my heart and life today Maybe your, your marriage is falling apart. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe something's not going the way you want it to. Maybe you're, maybe you're praying for a spouse. Maybe you're praying that God would, would deliver you from a situation at work. Maybe you're praying for God to give you a job. Faith is a present reality that allows us to walk through these things knowing that God's got this and we're going to be okay no matter what. Faith like Abel or faith like Enoch, it's going to be okay. Because at the end of the day, God cares for those who are His and have faith in Him. But faith also looks future and says that Jesus Christ is reorienting the world to Himself. Jesus Christ is mending broken hearts. Jesus Christ is making all things work towards His, our good and His glory. Jesus Christ will rule and reign. He will come back and He will take us with Him. Faith believes that Jesus will deliver us from death for good. Faith believes that Jesus Christ has already defeated death. It's a future hope. A future hope on a rock-solid promise that God has given us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes it this way. He said, God does not give us everything we want. But he does fulfill his promises, leading us along the best, path, best and straightest paths to himself. Have you ever looked at someone else's faith and seen something go well for him, for them, and said, I want that? But you didn't look at their faith and say, I want that. You looked at the results of their faith and said, I want that. I've done it. It's this kind of covetousness that's really unholy and that God has to deal with in our hearts because faith isn't the same for you and everybody else. The object of our faith is, but what flows from that object is different. But faith says that God has me as me and everything that is in my life right now, who I'm with, 
those I'm around, the circumstances I'm going through, the difficulties in my life, the joys in my life, all of those things, God is paving for me the straightest path through to Himself. You don't have to idolize someone else's life. You don't have to think that you want what they want because that's not your life. That's not what God has given you. God has given you your life so that you would find Him and that at the end of the day, your true treasure wouldn't be the stuff that God gives, but that you would, your true treasure would be God Himself. And it would, be a, it would be an absolute tragedy if you go through this life and you get everything that you think you want and you don't get God. That would be a tragedy. So you've got to believe that you've been through some mess. You've been through some difficulties. You've been through some things that you haven't wanted. But ultimately, all of the things that you've been through, all of the things that you are going through, all of the things that you will go through, is a straight path to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whose arms are spread out and who says, draw near, draw near. That's faith. That's the faithfulness for us today, is believing that I am going to live my life in the full presence of God and that God's got this. And my job, like a child, is to go before the cross and say to my faithful Father, thank you. May I be your child. Give me faith. So three things I want us to, to look to as we close as a way of us asking this question. I want us to apply this to our life. It's really important that we take this home. That we don't just leave it on the floor here, but we take it home and we apply this to our life and it's in the text. We see it in verse 6. Faith seeks. Faith seeks. Are you seeking after God? How do I know if I have faith? Well, faith returns to the same place over and over and over again. Not perfectly. Sometimes we might wonder, but faith brings us back to the one whom we know is true and sure. And so faith always seeks God. It says, draw near. We seek God because we know that without Him, we're dead in the water. We know that without Him, there's a big empty hole in our lives that can't be filled with anything else. We seek Him through His Word. His Word. It's hard to live as a Christian. I would say impossible to live as a Christian without the Word of God. Christian, are you seeking God through His Word? Are you seeking God through prayer? How can you say you know God if you don't talk to Him? If you don't seek His counsel in prayer? And do you seek Him with others? Part of the realities of faith is faith produces a family and the family is the church. And we, church, are His family who seek God together. And where we struggle to seek God, there are people around us that will help you. They will help you. Just ask them. I dare you. I challenge you. You're struggling. Don't hold it in isolation anymore. Ask somebody for help and watch God use them to draw you near to Him. Second, faith trusts. Faith trusts. Faith is faith because it says that God can be counted on. That God is credible, that God is sure, that God is real, that God is true. Faith says that God knows my life better than I do, so I'm going to surrender my life to Him. 
Faith says that God can be counted on to help in any and every situation and that all of my situations of my life are not catching him by surprise, but God has allowed those situations in my life to find me so that I might find him. Faith trusts. It trusts. God is credible. He can be counted on. He is sure. And then finally, faith works. It works. Faith obeys. Faith is not merely something we declare, but faith is something to be demonstrated. There's a lot of people in the world today, there's a lot of people that say they have faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and it leaves a scratch in our head because we can't see it. Faith is visible. It's visible. You can see it. It's there. Because faith is a demonstration of that which we believe. If Christ is the object of our faith and we are saying to ourselves and to Him and to others that our whole life is counting on Him, then we necessarily obey Him. We do what He says. In the presence of God, under the authority of God, and for the glory of God. All of our life is lived in obedience to Him. And so faith works. It's repentant, not perfect. I'm so thankful for this list of people because I'm like, Abraham? Seriously? He's the father of, of many nations? Abraham? God used him? And God can use me? God can use ordinary people for extraordinary things if we trust, if we follow, if we obey, and we're willing to walk in repentance. We're sinners saved by grace. The strength of faith is the object of your faith. And the object of your faith is Jesus, and he's the one who saves you. He's the one who says that your future is secure and your future is certain. And that's why at the end of this catalog of faith in chapter 11, he points us right to Jesus. And he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, Enoch, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Rahab, Sarah. Since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Our faith doesn't look to Abel for strength. Our faith doesn't look to Abraham for strength. Our faith looks to Christ because the faith of Abraham and the faith of Abel and the faith of Enoch and the faith of Noah and the faith of Rahab and the faith of Sarah points us to Jesus because they look to Jesus who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And how do we know that? Because he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross and he despised that sin and shame and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God by which the author of Hebrews continues to tell us to draw near, draw near, draw near so you might find of ever-present help in the time of need. Oh, friends, that we would draw near right now to that throne and realize that the object of our faith is right here, right now in our midst by the presence of his Holy Ghost He is stirring us up towards Him. 
Do some business with God right now. Seriously. There's stuff that you need to take to him. I don't know what yours is. I know what mine is. I got to take it to him right now. I got to take it before that throne. I got to draw near to him. Take it there. Join us, church, as we go before him. We cling to him. We trust in him. And we live life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and for the glory of God, looking to Jesus, Coram Dio. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let's pray.